Hello and welcome to the Shifting Culture Podcast in which we have conversations about the culture we create and the impact we can make. I'm your host, Joshua Johnson. Go to ShiftingCulturePodcast.com to interact or donate. And it would help us out if you left a rating or review on your favorite podcast app and share this podcast with your friends and network. Previous guests on the show have included Scott Rodin, David Garrison, and Emma Cotterell. You could go back and listen to those episodes and more. But today's guest is Todd Bolsinger. Todd is the co-founder and principal of A.E. Sloan Leadership and the executive director of the Church Leadership Institute at Fuller Seminary. He is the author of many books, two of which inform some of our conversation today in this podcast, Canoeing the Mountains and Tempered Resilience. We have a great conversation around what it takes to lead through the unknown towards adaptive change. Enjoy the episode. This episode is brought to you by All Nations Kansas City. Have you ever felt wholly discontent that one third of the world doesn't know Jesus? That the church as we know it won't reach all peoples on earth? And that it's hard to find ways to use your gifts for the kingdom of God? Well, you're not alone. We feel it too. With 30 years of experience igniting movements to Jesus around the world, committed to following the lead of the Holy Spirit, All Nations has gifted trainers and coaches with time in the trenches. Do you want to make disciples in hard places? Do you want to join a like-minded community? Are you tired of compromising for the status quo? Then join us on the leading edge. Go to allnations.us to learn more. This podcast is done in association with the MX Platform and 100M Publishing. The MX Platform is a space for any disciple to be resourced and equipped to release movement within their context. So whether you lead your family, a small group, a microchurch, or you're a planter or pastor, you can find tools, resources, and training to help release potential within yourself and context. 100M Publishing publishes books by authors and thought leaders with new insight about movement DNA, discipleship, leadership, and movement dynamics. To learn more about these books and to check out the resources and training available, visit themxplatform.com. Todd, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming. It is nice to be with you. Yeah, I'm really excited to uh, to have you on uh, to talk through what does it actually look like uh, to really have some some leadership that'll take us through parts of the unknown um, into places where we need to we need to adapt um, and we need to to think differently than what we have thought before uh, and what it's going to take. You know, one of the things you you wrote canoeing the mountains. Uh, um, a few years before COVID hit, um, and uh, you know, once COVID hit, people were like, "Oh, we need something different," and what we've had in the past doesn't work. And you were you were tooting that horn a little bit before before COVID. Um, tell us a little bit about what you were seeing, um, and what type of this new leadership is Christian leadership is going to take to get us through these these times that we're living in. Yeah, so um, uh, I wrote Canoeing the Mountains because in the middle of the first decade of the 2000s, in the aughts, as they call it, um, I was already beginning to recognize that in many places in the life of the church, including places where I was serving, I'm a Presbyterian pastor, yeah. um, the the um, the church was already experiencing some disruption. Numbers were going down. We were at the beginning of a curve that now we've seen was the beginning of the entire mo- the millennial generation walking away from the church. Yeah. Um, 
people were beginning to ask questions about the church from the past. And really what we had was a number of folks saying, look, I, I don't think seminary prepared me for this world I'm in. Like yeah. it's changing too rapidly. And what they meant by that was after um, a several hundred year run <laughs> of Christendom, where Christianity was supported by Western culture. That's yep. the easiest way to think about that. Um, in one generation, we went to the place where in many places in the culture, Christianity was no longer not supported, but was actually becoming a more marginalized experience. Mm -hmm. And that notion of Christianity, of trying to lead churches when you're not supported by culture, like not having a home court advantage, if you think of it that way, um, not having the world support you. Mm -hmm. Um, was really new for people. Hmm. And that was happening rapidly, yep. one generation. And then COVID hit. <laughs> and what <laughs> happened was in one day, everything yeah. got disrupted. Yep. And I said that from when I wrote the book in 2013, where I'd already been speaking about it for about six years at that point, to where it was published in 2015, it changed dramatically. Mm. But from 2015 to 2020, I used to have people who used to argue with me about whether or not we were actually going through change. <laughs> wow. Starting in March 13, uh, 13th, 2020, from that day on, no one ever argued with me about the fact that we were in a disrupted, changing world and we needed to lead differently. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've seen that, you know, part of my job as I lead a missions agency is we're going to mm -hmm. people in places where Jesus is not yet known. And so we're actually trying to figure out what does it look like to raise up indigenous leaders to lead into a place where uh, it's going to take a lot of uh, adaptation. It's going to take thinking differently. It's going to take... Um, working in the unknown, um, you know, bringing the, the Western church along for that ride uh, was really, was really challenging and really difficult for, for a long time. And it's getting a lot easier um, because people are realizing, oh, we're actually starting to live in that. But there was a few things that, you know, we learned is one is we had to be very adaptable to, to ever, present changes that there we don't know what we're going to encounter um and so we have to set up uh structures and and places and things in a way that it can change and adapt to what we will experience um what type of leadership is it going to take for us to get to that place where we have structures and places and things that can adapt to changing environments so this notion of adaptation is a really critical um, concept. Um, it, the way I talk about it is it comes from Ronald Heifetz and Marty Linsky's work on adaptive leadership mm -hmm. that was basically asking the question, um, if you can no longer rely on best practices, yeah. then how do you lead? Right? How do you how do you lead when you're not an expert? In other words, it's one thing to be a person who walks into someplace and is the expert. I know what exactly what to do. Yeah. And so I often use this example. Think about church planting. Um, a generation ago, uh, Eugene Peterson was a church planter. Mm. Now I love Eugene Peterson. <laughs> I love his work. He, you know, I love yeah. the message. His spiritual and pastoral theology was stunning. But we, you wouldn't probably think church planter Eugene Peterson because what then a church planter meant was in an area where the Methodists, the Lutherans, and the Presbyterians were all putting up new churches, um, <laughs> it meant that there was enough 
Presbyterians, people who check the box Presbyterian yeah. in the real estate agents boxes <laughs> to say, <laughs> hey, we probably could buy some land, put up a church and invite people there. And what would happen is, is you announce that we're going to have a new Presbyterian church and all the people who are over down the street at the Methodist and Lutheran church would go, hey, thank you guys for having us. We're going to now go join our own church. And that was church planting, right? Because yeah. everybody was going to church. A generation later, church planting even in the west means you're mm -hmm. trying to reach people many of which are and you know, are have deep hostilities against the church or pain with the church or think the church is irrelevant it's closer to the mission world it's yeah. closer to what our missionaries and others have been doing for a long time the problem is is that most of us have mental models for what church is like mm -hmm. that is really different than the mental models of what a missionary going into an unchurched world is like. Yeah. And now this is all coming together and we're having to learn together in new ways. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, working at a seminary, um, you know, I work at a seminary that for years had two different schools. One was a school of world mission yeah. and the other was a school of theology. And now we've recognized that that divide is, mm. uh, is anachronistic and is just not even relevant to the world anymore, which means everything mm. is getting reshifted um, even right now in front of us. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, as you're you're seeing that and you actually probably and your seminary now is you, you have a lot of online courses and people from probably all over the world that are able to access that and to start to walk alongside what how does that actually shift and change perspectives in uh, Western the Western Church and Western Christian leadership when you start to hear a diversity of voices coming in um, walking along your yeah. programs yeah so the, um, so what's interesting is the diversity of voices is a really important part of adaptive thinking. Mm -hmm. So the, the way, the first way to think about adaptive thinking is, it, um, you know, I would say when I'm, a, I work at a seminary, everybody who comes to a seminary traditionally has been someone who someone said to them, you're the best Christian I know, you should go pro. <laughs> you should yeah. go off to professional Christian school. You should do this for a living. You're called to do this. You should run a church. And what that meant was we give them lots of reading. They write lots of papers. And by the time they're done, they have a master of divinity, which means they have mastered a set of <laughs> of theological concepts and academic concepts. And then they go back in and lead churches based mm -hmm. on their expertise. You're, you're the expert, right? Yeah. Um, the hard part now is that almost every church in every context, we were trained to be the expert in that old world, that mm -hmm. world where people would just yeah. show up. They don't anymore. So now we're in a place where we're having to lead differently. And this adaptive leadership starts with the notion of, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what to do. I know that we have a set of core convictions and core values that are central to who I, who we are. Yep. This is what animates us and sends us into the world. But now we have to figure out what that looks like in this particular context. Yeah. And your point about the diverse voices is what's happening is now the diverse voices are not clear across seawater. Yep. They're in our conversations every day. And that, if you will listen to that, is a great advantage mm -hmm. because now it means that you no longer have to go around the world to see what the Holy Spirit is doing. You just yeah. need to go across the sidewalk. Mm -hmm. and, <laughs> and that means, however, that you have to go across the sidewalk with a different posture than mm. you would have gone in the past. Mm. In church world, that means you don't go as a person who goes with expertise 
Yeah. Um, I'm going to offer you programs that we've thought out that we think are perfect and that we'd like to offer you to take advantage of. You actually have to go in as listeners and learners. Yeah. And you're beginning to respond to those folks. And that and that's a skill set that many places in the church have had to do forever. It's just not mm. ever had to be the skill set that came out of the dominant Western church. <laughs> that's true. And, you know, if you look at at Jesus uh, as he's leading and he's li- he's listening to others, he knows people's context uh, where they're at. And he's he asks a lot of questions to help them discover what does it actually look like? You, you know, if you're looking, you know, in your book, Canoeing the Mountains, you're talking about Lewis and Clark and mm-hmm. their core of discovery. Right. They're they're out trying to discover what does it look like to have these water passages all the way into the to the Pacific. Um, for for Jesus, he's helping people discover what does it actually look like to live in the kingdom uh, by asking questions. As, as you watch and you look at Jesus as far as uh, what he has done in a, in a people in a place, what are a couple of lessons to learn uh, of how we could posture ourselves as good listeners, as you said, um, and ones that come alongside. Yeah, so that's interesting the way you put that. Um, so I don't think Lewis and Clark are a good type of Jesus. <laughs> oh, think, no, I think, no, I didn't. I, I didn't think, mean I think, that. I think Lewis and Clark are actually a good type of the Pharisees. Yeah. I think, um, <laughs> they were the folks who believe they were the experts who got disrupted. Uh, so if you think the best way to think about Lewis and Clark is they are like Nicodemus, hmm, who yeah. was a Pharisee who encounters Jesus and now is asking the questions they can't even imagine asking, hmm. right? They're yeah. hearing things like you must be born again. And they ask, well, how do you crawl back up in your mother's womb, right? Hmm. They're like yeah. totally not getting it. But as soon as they see that the world in front of them is nothing like the world behind them, yeah. they now are open to perspectives they wouldn't be open to. Hmm. And so what you literally have, I think, is a moment in their lives. I mean, remember, Meriwether Lewis was tutored by Thomas Jefferson. Mm. Yeah. Talk about a group <laughs> of people who had all the power, all the privilege, mm. all of the, you know, the support of this American government, a 300-year-old mental model that went clear back to Europe about the way the yeah. world works wow. that is all disrupted at one moment when they look over the Lemhi Pass and realize there is no water route. We cannot canoe our way into the future. We're going to have to drop these canoes and we're going to have to navigate a terrain that is completely different than any of us have ever imagined before. Yeah. I think that's what's happening to people when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. Yeah. When they hear kingdom, mm-hmm. they think kingdom of David. Mm-hmm. They think yeah. power, rule, authority, mm-hmm. victory, defeat Goliath, right? Um, yeah. David had Goliath, we have Rome. So let's use, let's figure out how to win. Jesus walks in and demonstrates the kingdom of God is not like the kingdoms of this world. And so therefore we're going to have to lead to live into it in a totally different way. Mm. And I think what happens in that moment is when Jesus takes a little child, puts him in his mix, or when Jesus reaches out and invites people like tax collectors or embraces a woman in adultery or heals a leper it is the equivalent of what Meriwether Lewis and William Clark experienced when they turned around and realized, oh, the mm-hmm. only person who knows where she is going <laughs> is a teenage Native American nursing mother, Sakakawea. <laughs> we, we learned her name in 11th grade history classes, Sakajawea, <laughs> but her name in the journals was Sakakawea. So huh. I want to give her back her name. Yeah. 
And we need to learn to listen to her the way they needed to learn Mm -hmm. to listen to her so they could keep going. And I think we're in that kind of moment in the church today. Yeah. So, so what are the types of, of voices, uh, and the types of leaders that'll actually get us through that. Well, so in my most recent book, which is a book on resilience, it's mm-hmm. called Tempered Resilience. Um, I one of the things I talk about is that leading into the middle of the unknown when you need to develop the resilience because your own people re- will resist you. Like yeah. the, the hard part about this is that you know um, we are like Lewis and Clark leading the core of discovery, and the whole core mm-hmm. of discovery says we're not going. Yeah. This is almost every church I know is of the leaders face that reality. Yeah. It, they say they want to go. They just don't want to change. Yeah. That resilience needs, it starts with a couple of qualities that are really important. And, and with the first one is the quality of, of being a learner. It starts with humility. Mm-hmm. And in all, and this is the interesting part that I, I live my life in the intersection between spiritual formation, literature and leadership. Yeah literature. Um, I'm literally a professor of leadership formation. And what they both have in common, both the leadership literature out of places like Harvard and Stanford, and the spiritual formation literature out of places like Augustine and Aquinas and Mm -hmm. Henry Now and and the others, right, is um, humility. Hmm. The capacity to learn, to not be the expert, but to be the learner Hmm. and to lead the learning to be open to being wrong, to be open to uh, experiencing what you, that you are blind and cannot Mm. see. Yeah. And that humility is the first thing that has to happen Hmm. as the first quality. But it feels like, you know, in, in our Christendom world, it actually looks, uh, leadership looked a lot like, Hey, you know, I'm going to, to be the visionary and we're going and just follow my lead and let's go. Um, yep. And in this leadership in the unknown looks a little bit more like humility, learning and leading together um, mm-hmm. and shepherding a, a place of, of learning and moving forward. So what are the so for those that are those really, um, I don't know, hyper visionary leaders that said, you know, I'm going to take the charge. How can we all posture ourselves differently to be those types of humble learners and to shepherd other people in that process? What is our posture that we have to take? Yeah. So one of the things is just a shifting in the idea of vision, right? So I believe that leaders do need to have vision, but the vision they need to have is a, a, a clear vision of reality Hmm. for starters. They need to be able to be the people who stand in front of a group of folks and say, um, here's the truth Hmm. Um, in the West we're losing a million millennials a year. Hmm. Um, we are in decline. Um, yeah, I know there's mega churches out there, but every mega church in its every area has not moved the needle one bit on the on cultures becoming more and more Christ-like. Yeah. Um, we're more di- we're more divided than ever. Like it needs to have the courage to say the calm, kind truth about hmm. reality. Um, Max Dupree, who's I work at the Dupree Center, so we quote him all the time, says the first um, responsibility of a leader is to define reality. Hmm. And so that's a kind of vision. The other kind of vision is the vision that says, and in our reality, we will look to God. Hmm. Um, uh, one of my favorite passages of the scripture is in Second Chronicles 20. Um, Lord, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And so teaching the, the church 
it's not having a great vision of a great compelling future. Yeah. It's having a vision of God in our midst, <laughs> like a pillar of clouds, yeah. like a pillar of fire that takes us one step along the way in the dark. And we are going to take each faithful step one at a time to be faithful to what God wants us to have. We are going to learn as we go. We're going to um, go as lighthearted as we need to, light-handed as we need to. I would yeah. say we're going to we're going to have to drop a lot of canoes <laughs> and let go of stuff that got us this far. Mm. And that kind of leadership is not only bringing people together to discern a future, yeah. but it's calling people toward a sense of mission that that has a vision that participates in what God is doing in the world, but probably is open to it being done differently than you expected. Mm. You know, I love as we're, we're actually discovering that and we're learning God in our, our midst and then we're bringing people along on, on that journey. How can we uh, uh, make decisions to move forward in a way that honors other voices and brings other other people in, but doesn't get us stalled out in the discussion of what we need to do, but actually propels us forward. Yeah. So this is actually, that's a great question because one of the things I say is I don't think we go forward. We go forward with collaboration, not mm -hmm. conversation. Yeah. Collaboration, mm -hmm. co-laboring. So I would say to people, what we need to learn how to do is experiment our way forward. It means we have a conversation and then we try something mm. and what we know it's an experiment because we're not trying to ask the question, will this work? What yeah. we're asking is what are we going to learn? So we learn one step at a time. We do what they call in the startup world. I spend a lot of my time with some te uh, tech people in startup world. They call that prototyping. Yeah. Do a safe, modest experiment. Um, there's a great statement that says, you know, fail fast and learn fast. And I was in a room <laughs> with a venture capitalist once who said, uh, yeah, and fail cheap. It's my money. Right. <laughs> right. So, so part of what we need to learn how to do is collaborate mm. our way forward, labor together, work together, yeah. prototype, experiment together. And that's what keeps us from sitting around thinking that if we just get all the conversation right yep. and the, and we get all the concepts right, we're going to be fine because what we really need to be doing is having conversations while we are learning together and yeah. saying, this worked, this didn't, I learned this, this didn't, I thought it was going to turn out this way. Mm -hmm. It turned out this way. And that's the way in which we learn our way forward. And most of the work we do in consulting is trying to teach uh, churches and whole denominations and yeah. big mission agencies, how to um, learn to uh, hold on to the thing that is the most important to them, adapt those values in such a way that you can then experiment your way forward to new um, learnings, new discoveries. So would you uh, just say, should you have like an R&D department, a research and development department that they're actually the experimenters and trying to do the work? Mm -hmm. Or are we trying to do that from more of the, the, the center that's trying to lead uh, the whole organization or church? Um, and what are some pros and cons to, the, to those different ways of doing it? So um, it's, a, it's a great question. It depends upon the organization or the church itself. So in, um, you know, in many small, so we always start to say this, we say um, there needs to be both a core of discovery and mm -hmm. a Congress that sends them, <laughs> right? Yeah. There needs to be, I would say, I've used the exact same example of like, say, how, uh, how did we get to the moon? 
there was both Congress that funded it and took, kept yeah. the country going, and there was NASA who was building rocket ships. I think you get a small group of people, and and you could call them like the R and D department. Yeah. We call them the transformation team. They're literally <laughs> the folks whose job is to learn as you go, but take that, bring that learning back into the congregation, into the organization, yeah. so that that learning becomes part of our our new DNA. And so whenever we consult, one of the things we always say is, you know, you, uh, we're not interested in just having, you know, the pastor, we, yeah. we will coach a senior pastor if they want to, or the coach, the CEO. But what we always say to them is if you really want to bring transformation, you've got to get a small group of people who are going to learn together how to mm. be the transformation team and then bring you the rest of your leadership along that then brings the rest of the organization of the congregation along. Mm. Uh, yeah, and one of the things that you you mentioned a little bit earlier is having some some core values that can actually mm-hmm. be adapted to different contexts and different areas. Um, and I think w- what we have seen is we have some values and some principles where where we teach. This is what it looks like to be a really good cross cultural missionary. This is what it looks like to church plant uh, among people that don't yet know Jesus. Uh, but it needs to be a adaptable, but these values and these principles remain the same. Um, how can we we take core values and principles and adapt them well mm-hmm. in another area? Yeah. So it starts with this. It starts with actually looking at your values and asking this question, are they actual values or are they aspirational values? Yeah. Um, Aspirations are really important and I'm not against them. I actually will talk. There's a, we can talk about what the role of aspirations, <laughs> yeah. but your values you're actually adapting are your actual values. Hmm. So when I work with an Oregon, they come in and say, Oh, we can skip that whole value stuff. We've got a core set of values. So I'll go, great. Tell me about them. And they'll go, well, a group of us got together and we read a bunch of Bible passages and we did a lot of study and we read some good books and then we got in a retreat and we came up with five values and they spell out the word grace. They're amazing. Generosity, <laughs> reconciliation, accountability, compassion, empathy. And we put them on a board and we give them, we put them on everything we do. We print it. We all know we're a church of grace. And I go, that's amazing. You just told me your aspirational values. Hmm. You just told me everything you want to be, which I think is an yeah. amazing picture. Mm-hmm. Now tell me a story about the best moments in the life of your organization. Tell me a story about the thing you're most proud of. Tell me a story about, and what I do is I make them tell stories. Yeah. And what happens is then I tell the leaders, now go tell story, go have the, everybody else in your organization tell stories. Hmm. Take those, bring those stories back and you'll tell me what your real values are. And some of them may be in that list of G-R-A-C-E. They may be. Yeah. But many times what you have is the values we have there is a mix. Hmm. And what you're trying to say is our actual values. So, so the way to think about this is anybody who gets married knows that you, you have a tendency to want to put your best foot forward when you're dating. Yeah. And you tend to marry your projection of your, of your spouse as this perfect person which is what makes marriage early on so (laughs) painful because you have to actually bring your real selves to the marriage. Mm. And the sooner you get to, this is who I really am with all my goodness and brokenness, pain (laughs) and beauty, all the, et cetera. And here's who you really are, Mm. not who I wish you were. You can actually build a healthy marriage. Mm. And adaptation is healthy adaptations of your actual DNA. Mm. 
And we spend, a, it's one of the most, when, when people hire us to be consultants and our team yeah. to do that, they're consultants. They literally are almost always disappointed at the beginning because they think, man, we're doing this so slow. And I'm like, no, if we don't get this part right, the rest yeah. of it doesn't go right. Yeah. And what happens is very quickly you get that part right and then a bunch of stuff falls into place. Mm. Yeah, and you're looking at, you know, when, you know, Drucker says that that culture eat strategy for breakfast, like, mm -hmm. you know, and I think values determine your culture. Yeah. Um, and so your values that are lived out. Yeah, lived out values, right? Lived out, yeah. You know, and you know, the one of the ways I teach, I was like, you know, as values determine your behavior, and behavior determines your, your culture. So it's the lived out values, right? So if you're living out those values, you're correct. You're absolutely right. And I think, you know, so what does it actually look? How how do, can we take some culture um, and and start to bring it to a new place? Um, because you have culture, like. A, an adaptation strategy is going to get us not very far, but to to shift our culture in a way to move it towards adapt adaptation and change, and to be effective in this new space that we find ourselves in. What's it going to take to be able to do that? Well, the um, the first thing it takes is getting really really clear on what are our actual values. Yeah. Um, I mean, so, um, so like you said, you know, uh, values determine behavior. I actually think behavior reveals actual values. <laughs> That's good. I like that. Right. So if you spend time actually looking at what we actually do, yeah. you get to your actual values. Yeah. And, um, and so then when you start from there, now you ask the question, okay, what are those, the values and the behaviors we need in the new world, in this changing world? Like, yeah. So you're asking now, once you're clear on what should never change, hmm. What can never change? I was just with a, a group um, that is a big nonprofit that works all over the world, mostly with people who are filled with addictions. Yeah. And they are, they've really been about proclaiming the gospel to people who have experienced addiction in their life. Really remarkable work they've done for a generation. But they have a model that's built on like residential communities, mm -hmm. deep discipleship. It's beautiful. Yeah. Which of course they could not do at all during COVID. Yeah. So now they had to ask ourselves, are we about residential communities or we are about helping people with addictions? And the question here has to be, this is what happens in adaptive change. Adaptive change, you have to learn. Yeah. You have to face loss. What are we going to let go of? Hmm. And then what are we not going to let go of? Hmm. Because we have competing values and competing values are always decided by deciding what are you going to keep and what are you going to discard hmm. or what are you going to make first priority and second priority? Yeah. And that's a painful thing because it's a loss experience, loss, learning, competing values. Hmm. I would say if you came on the trip with Lewis and Clark, because they were told it was a river trip and you're an expert canoer <laughs> and you're so good, you invented your own boat. They invented their own boats. <laughs> it's a bad day when you find out there's no water. Because now you're not a guy who's the expert canoeer. You're just a dude carrying luggage. And it's not the same thing. Yeah. And people now have to decide, are we river rafters or are we canoers? Which mm. one? Are mm. we explorers yeah. or are we river rafters? Are we explorers or are we canoers? Which one are we? Yeah. If we're explorers, we're going to drop the canoes. If we're canoers, we're going to go back into charted territory and do trips about how great canoeing is and pass on the great gift of canoeing. But which one are we? 
And that's the painful work. That's why you develop a set of values. And that's yeah. how you figure out how you adapt them. You adapt them based on your mission and your calling. Mm. That's really good. I, you know, I'd love to move into this place of you being somebody that's working in leadership formation and having the the spiritual formation and and leadership meld together. What does that look like? How do we how do we do that? And why is it so important uh, to to move forward in a way where spiritual formation and leadership are going together instead of in two separate tracks? So um, when we think about the gospel and that the gospel uh, not only offers us salvation, but it offers us sanctification, we, mm -hmm. we become humans who are, who are, who have been made in the image of God, who are restored to God, to be like Jesus, like Jesus, we are to be the body of Christ and we are to be the embodiment of Jesus. One of the things to remember about Jesus is Jesus didn't just show up and be Jesus. Jesus actually came with a mission yeah. to proclaim the kingdom of God has come near. So we're always being shaped into the likeness of Jesus for the sake of the mission of God. Mm. So I define leadership as energizing a community of people toward their own transformation in order to accomplish a shared mission. Mm. And what that requires then is to ask the question, so what do we need to be formed for that? Mm. And in most of our lives, if you think about just say your spiritual practices, yeah. um, you know, I remember when I, uh, I grew up in a, in a Catholic family. Uh, we went to mass every Sunday. Uh, we went to my grandmother's house. We had, we said grace before meals. Um, when I was a teenager, someone introduced me to Jesus in a different way that I could have, that wouldn't just be religion. It would be about a relationship with Jesus. And I would be yeah. a, a disciple and follower of Jesus. And they literally said stuff to me, like, like you need to read your Bible every day. I didn't have a Bible. <laughs> so I had to get a Bible and read it every day you need to pray every day. I said, I've got a couple of prayers, the Lord's prayer, the Hail Mary. Yeah. No, you need to pray a different way to like pray your, give your requests to God, you know, to your heart to God. Those practices shaped me yeah. and they were great. And I became a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus. Hmm. But when I needed to become a pastor and a preacher, I couldn't just read the Bible every day. I had to study the Bible hours every week and I couldn't just pray every day. I needed to pray differently for my congregation. So my practices changed to shape me for the calling I yeah. had. Well, I said, well, today I'm now um, a seminary professor. I'm not a pastor. Um, I, I get asked to preach about four or five times a year and I got three really good sermons and they're really good. I do them over and over again, right? Like I have a different calling. So yeah. how do I need to be shaped for this calling for this day? Mm. So I think that one of the things we need to be asking ourselves is what are the practices that we need in our lives to shape us for the call we have in front of us today? Mm. And believing that that call is that that calling in that calling, Jesus wants us to be like Jesus in that calling. Yeah. But there's a different tap. Whatever the thing is in front of us is going to require something different of us. Hmm. And that if we don't keep adapting our formation practices, yeah, then we're going to find ourselves unable to fulfill the thing we've been called to do. Hmm. I think you know, in my experience, uh, I, leadership uh, is often lonely. Um, and there's uh, we have to figure out how do we find people to be able to to talk to and help uh, in that formation process. Um, so what are some good steps to be able to figure out how we should be formed for the task and the mission uh, in front of us? So um, one of the things that we're 
doing that we talk a lot about in the book tempered resilience we talk a lot about the fact that not only is it uh, lonely to be a leader but to be a lonely leader is dangerous mm. um, that leadership is not meant to be alone jesus yeah. wasn't alone so when we recognize that, how dangerous it is, I always say to people that if I was a bishop and I'm, I'm a Presbyterian, I'm not a, I don't have bishops, but if I was a bishop, I would be telling people all the time that if you're leading anything and you're doing so without partners, mentors, and friends, all three, mm-hmm. people who are partners, they're people, I would say my partners are people who care as more about the mission than they care about me. They might love me and care for me and we might be really close to me. But if push comes to shove, they're going to keep doing the mission. If I left, they'd keep going. That's a partner. My friends are people who care more about me than they do about the mission. Yeah. They're the, my friends are the ones who say, hey, Todd, congratulations. Heard that you got a new book out. And I go, I do. You want to read it? And they go, no, <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not really that interested in all that leadership stuff. Talk to somebody else, right? Yeah. Uh, but I'm your friend and I'm happy for you. Mm. Mentors are people who care about me for the sake of my mission. Hmm. So that's where I put the category of spiritual directors or therapists or coaches or just people in your life who you ask to be in your life as mentors Hmm. so that you can continue to be the healthiest, best person you can or the sake of something bigger than you. And what I would say is if I was a bishop and you tried to lead without partners, mentors, or friends, I would consider that leadership malpractice. Mm. To me, that is as deadly as someone saying they want to be a preacher without reading the Bible. Yeah. And we see this in places. I mean, there's all these stories about mega churches with pastors who said stuff like, you know, unless I have someone who's a pastor, who's got a church bigger than mine, I'm not sure I can learn anything from them. That's arrogance. Yeah. And that led leads to crumbling ministries. Yeah. That's really good. Partners, mentors, and friends, and we all need those. That's really, really good. I love that uh, a lot. That's really great. Um, you know, as we're we're looking about, you, you talk a little bit about uh, transformational leadership. What does it look like to to transform some people? And there's all sorts of different leadership thoughts and thinking of servant leadership or there's mm-hmm. all like all sorts of stuff. I mm-hmm. I mean, I like this transformational leadership. What does it actually look like to transform, to be transformed and to transform? Um, what where do you think as Christian leaders, what are we should walk in? How can we walk in things um, that really reflect Christ in our leadership? Well, for me, the notion of transformation comes right out of that notion, right? You follow the footsteps of Jesus, you become like Jesus. That's the point, yeah. right? And and what's hard about that is people walked with him for three years and still didn't get the point. <laughs> and so, so we start realizing this really is the work of the Holy Spirit that happens over a long period of time. Yeah. And then what needs to happen in our lives more and more and more is that you walk in the manner worthy of the Lord, right? You mm. are, you grow in the knowledge of God so that you might be able to bear fruit that remains, So for me, the notion of adaptive leadership is built on two other things. It's built on technical competence. That's the tech, that's the term for being faithful with the stuff you've been called to be faithful with. Mm -hmm. Um, 
technical competence is where you're supposed to be an expert. You need to be right. So <laughs> if I don't handle the scriptures, well, if, if I was your, if I'm your teacher, your pastor, yeah. and you look at me and go, I don't think the Bible says that you're not going to trust me any further. Yep. Technical competence is what builds trust It mm -hmm. builds credibility. You also need to have relational congruence. And what relational congruence is really a way of saying you're the same person who shows up in every relationship in your life, hmm. whether that's a transactional relationship. Yeah. You know, I should I should be I live I pastored for 17 years in a small town. And one of the best parts about being in a small town is everybody knows who you are. Yeah, they might have known me as Brooks and Allie's dad. They might have known me as the pastor of the church. They might have known me as the neighbor who lives close to a, a favorite beach spot. They might have known a lot, but they yeah. better know me as the same person in all of those things. Because mm. if not, they're not going to trust me either. Yeah. So trust is what's needed to lead other people through a process of transformation. Mm. Now, the hard part for this is, if there's no trust, there's no transformation. Mm. Bottom line, no trust, you're not going forward. I would say nobody trusts you off the map if they don't trust you first on the map, right? If they don't yeah. trust you in all the known terrain, they're not going to trust you when you tell them you got to drop the canoes and go into the uncharted territory. Yeah. But so tr there's no transformation without trust, yeah. but trust is not transformation. Mm. It's not enough just to be well trust to be trustworthy. Yeah, this is where too many of us, uh, we become those kinds of people who never want to disappoint our congregants who want them to know that we love them. We want to please them in everything we do. We always want to show up. They trust us. They love us. We have job security here. That's not our goal. Yeah, our goal is for them to trust us so we can call them into the learning, the loss, the discovery, the discipleship mm -hmm. that is going to require them to you have to invest their yeah. trust in transformation. Hmm. And so the work of a leader is always getting, uh, raising the level of trust and then calling people to invest that, invest, to lay that down, to move toward transformation in such a way that over time you then rebuild the trust and trust leads to transformation. And that process continues again. Hmm. Yeah. In this, this time where we're moving into this, this place in the church where it's really about self-care, um, and about making sure that, you know, we're not burnt out and we're healed and we're whole, um, you know, because everybody is, especially after a big shift of what's happening, um, there's all sorts of reasons why we're in this self-care moment. How can we, like, acknowledge that but continue to lead forward into the unknown and brave that that wilderness and not be stuck in a, hey, let's just spend the next 10 years in this one spot to make sure mm -hmm. that we're healthy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you think about this, the, for me, this, this is really simple. Um, uh, health is as simple as breathing. I mean, you, you, if you hold your breath to preserve it, you pass out. <laughs> if you run out of breath because you're doing too hard, you pass out. You need to both inhale and exhale all the time repetitively mm. you need to so self-care needs to be built into the way you live yeah and your living has to be more than your self-care 
Like yeah. it just has to be built in. I would say, that, you know, uh, I work with pastors all the time and they'll say they struggle with having Sabbaths. You know, I, I can't get one day off. And then they'll say, but at least I got a sabbatical coming. I'm good. Good. Oh, so every seven years you're going to take care of yourself. That's good. <laughs> My guess is you're doing, I'm guessing from years three on, you weren't very helpful. You don't, you need a rhythm of work and rest that happens every day, mm. every day. Mm. That's good. It's like breathing. Yeah. Beautiful. Uh, I have a couple questions uh, here at the end. One is, uh, if you could go back to your 21-year-old self, what advice would you give? Um, my 21-year-old self, I would say, um, uh, be patient and marry that girl. <laughs> <laughs> when, when my wife and I were tw- 21, we were not doing well dating very well at that moment. And I wasn't sure we were going to make it. And the very, very best thing in my life is that mm. by the time we were 25 and 24, we were married. And mm. um, and that has been the happiest, most joyful, beautiful part of my life. Mm. That's great. Yeah. Anything that you've been reading or watching lately that you could recommend? Um, so I read a book this last year that I keep coming back to over and over again. It's by Adam Grant and mm-hmm. it's called think again. Yeah. And part of the reason why I like it so much is that he talks about this notion of humility and learning. <laughs> he says the greatest thinkers in, in our world were not great thinkers. They were great rethinkers. <laughs> and he believes that the key to moving forward is to be open to being wrong and being corrected. <laughs> he said, not trying to prove you're right, but to keep working till you get it right. Yeah. Which means you're often wrong. And that book has been really shaping to me. It's been really yeah. helpful. I use it with all my students. I got, I have 60 doctoral students at different parts of the process, including some who graduate yeah. out there. And they hear me talk a lot about this notion. Um, that's mm. been the book that I have spent the most amount of time thinking about in the last year. Wow. To relearn, to to say that I, we can be wrong. I mean, that's that's really the, the posture that you're talking about earlier is about mm-hmm. being learners and being humble. Um, and to really say, hey, we're in this together and we're trying to relearn and learn again and to be wrong and to to move forward. Um, that's such a, a humble position to to be in. If you could leave uh, leave one thing with our listeners, what would you leave them with? Breathe. Inhale, breathe. Exhale. <laughs> yeah, breathe. Oh, that's good. Well, Todd, it was a a pleasure to to speak with you and uh, to have you on. uh, And there's so many good nuggets uh, in there that I'll be chewing on. So thank you so much. My pleasure. Nice to be with you, too. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want to see more episodes like this, go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron of the show. You can help us produce more episodes so that we can see the body of Christ look more like Jesus. If you become a patron on patreon.com slash shifting culture, you will get early access to episodes. You will get episode guides. You will get bonus shows, hopefully, and more. So go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron. Also leave a rating and review on Apple podcasts. Uh, It really helps us out and helps us find new listeners to the show and just go and share this podcast with your friends, your family, your network, people that you think would enjoy it as well. Thank you. 
again for listening to the show. I hope you have a great week.